Good evening. We're going to tackle the seventh person in our biography series. These are folks that we found in Hebrews 11 that are listed in the Hall of Faith, and they led very diverse lives. The man we'd like to look at today is uh, Barak. He can be found in um, Judges chapter 4 and 5. But before I begin, I want to go to Hebrews 11 and read the account where his name is listed. And what shall I more say? This is uh, Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 34. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, there's our man, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That list of things that uh, things were done through faith, I can tell you that Barak accomplished at least four of those. Uh, Subdued the kingdoms, he did that. Obtained promises, he did that. Waxed valiant in fight, he did that. And he turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So at least four of those things were accomplished by Barak and his leadership. But with that being said, I would like to go to Judges chapter 4 and start reading the account of Barak. I got to admit that as I read the account of this particular man, I always uh, gave him a hard time. I counted him a mama's boy. And sure, he had a weakness in that area in the beginning. But as we go forward, we're going to find out the end of his life was a lot stronger than uh, men like uh, uh, Jephthah and uh, Samson and Gideon. Um, he led a very faithful life towards the end. He needed a little kickstart in the beginning, but, but let's get going in Judges chapter 4. Let me start reading in verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Horesheth of the Gentiles. Now, as we go through the book of Judges, we see this roller coaster ride where uh, they've got into a pit. Of, uh, Israel gets in the pit of despair. And uh, at the bottom of this pit, they cry out, Lord, help me. And Lord uh, sends them a deliverer. The deliverer comes. They, uh, they realize uh, uh, military success, economic success, and they start having peace. Well, peace is almost uh, um, um, a poison to them. Because after they have peace, they get full of themselves. They return to do evil again. They forget about the Lord. The Lord just backs away. He takes away their hedges. And another uh, force will come in and and overtake them. Well, this was the case. And they are in one of the earlier cycles in the book of Judges. And uh, their uh, past deliverer, a man named Ehud, died. When he died, they forgot about God. And they went back to their evil ways. Verse 3, Judges 4 and verse 3. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. In 20 years, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So this particular dip in the cycle, uh, when you're going through that valley, it's a 20-year period. Uh, Canaan had ruled over top of them. They had a mighty army. And in that army, they had 900 chariots. It's hard to understand how chariots of iron could be that uh, successful in military. But think of some foot soldiers going against a a tank brigade. 
that would be very similar to what it was. And with these iron chariots, they ruled uh, Israel for, and oppressed them for 20 years. Verse 4, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepoadoth, she judged Israel all that time. This is a little bit of a departure from what we read in the book of Judges. Normally men are chosen to be judges, but this time God chose a woman, and her name was Deborah. She was a prophetess. I'm still in Judges 4. Let me start reading now at verse 5. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abidoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? There's something I noticed in this, was she's speaking to him. I always thought that Deborah, who was a prophetess, <clears throat> was spoken to God, and God told her that it's time to go to battle and Barak is going to lead, and she simply relayed the information. But when I see this and I read the verb tenses, she asks him, she says, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying? As I read that language, it almost appears to me that God told Barak to go, but he didn't. And here's Deborah, the judge, sitting in her judgment seat, and she says, Send me Barak. And Barak comes up and approaches her, and he says, didn't God tell you that you're supposed to go to Mount Tabor and get these 10,000 men? As I read the account, it appears that the second uh, translation or interpretation seems to be more accurate than what my preconceived notion was. But anyway, that's the way I'm going with um, this particular account. I'm in uh, Judges 4, let me read verse 7. And I will draw unto thee into the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, and his chariots and his multitudes, and I will deliver them into thy hand. So here's the promise made. God says, I want you to go to Mount Tabor, and I want you to go, and you're going to attack this army, and when you attack this army, you're going to have success. And Barak said unto her, in verse 8, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Again, for years I've read this thing and I thought, boy, he just was a mama's boy. He says, I'll go to battle, but only if mama goes with me. And I give him a hard time for it. But at the same time, I realized maybe I'm a little too hard on Barak in this particular case. In one sense, I was easy on him. It was like the information first came to him. So I was being easy on him. But I think he already had the information and he was just a, a, a little bit, had some reservations. So when I look at this, I think, how many times in Scripture does God send man out with an assistant? I think of Moses, and Moses was very much afraid to face Pharaoh. He says, I need some help, and God gave him Aaron. And, and, and I see um, the disciples going out two by two. We always send them out two by two. And I see uh, Paul having sons in the ministry who for a long time were being mentored by Paul and they didn't start going solo. I see David and Jonathan being encouragements one to another. God made us social beings. And for Barak to say, I want a spiritual backing 
you know, I think maybe just because he chose a woman, that's where I think maybe I've been a little tough on him. He just needed a social backing and he happened to choose a woman. I don't know. Let's go forward. So I'm still in Judges chapter 4 and um, verse 9. This is Deborah speaking, and she says, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding. Journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So Barak says, yes, I'll go, but I need you to come with me. And Deborah says, I'll go. But the fact that I'm going with you, you're going to lose some honor. And, and, and one of the things that I see about Barak is Barak says, I'm going to go. And from this moment on, he was completely faithful in all he did. And I find that absolutely amazing. He was completely faithful in this battle. And we'll get into a little more details of this battle in a second. But he didn't blink after that. He just needed someone to come with him. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 10. So the command comes down reinforced by Deborah, said, you got to go to battle. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Gadesh, just like God said. And he went up with 10,000 men, just like God said. And Deborah went up with him. God didn't say that, but that was part of Barak's plan in there. Now Heber, the Canaanite, was of the children of Obeb, the father-in-law of Moses, and severed himself from the Canaanites and pitched his tent under the plain of Zaanaim, which is by Kadesh. Verse 12. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera gathered all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Harasheth of the Gentiles under the river Kishon. So let's, let's, let's look at the situation from a strategic military standpoint. Barak has got 10,000 pretty much untrained soldiers. Sisera has his army of 900 plus a host of footmen, seasoned veteran soldiers. And Barak has got the high ground. Well, from a military standpoint, I says, okay, I like this. From a, from, 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 I'm going to go against a, a superior source, but I've got the high ground and I can pick them off from a high distance. So, so far, so good. But to ask Barak to come out of that high ground and meet these army in the plains with the 900 chariots of iron is a whole nother matter. And God is going to do exactly that. And Barak is going to comply. Okay. So let's go down to Judges 4 and verse 14. And Barak said, I'm sorry, and Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. This is where you really see the faith. 10,000 men coming off the high position to go on the plains to face a superior army with superior equipment. Verse 15. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. Now, 
when it says the Lord discomforted Sisera, based on this account, that's all we have in chapter 4. But when we go to chapter 5, after the victory is won and the song is being sung by the women, if I go to Judges 5-4, I can get a little more insight of what the Lord did for the enemy. I mean, to the enemy, for Barak. Judges 5 and 4 says, Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out on the field of Edom, and the earth trembled, and the heavens dropped, and the clouds also dropped water. The Lord sent an earthquake. He dropped something from heaven. I don't know what it was, but also rain came down. Now think about it. You've got those iron chariots in the plain, and God sends sends a deluge of rain. What better way to immobilize 900 chariots of iron than to put them in a mud pit? And that's exactly what God did. It said the earth trembled. When the earth trembled, I, I, I don't know what kind of damage the earthquake did. I don't know if fallen trees went down and inhibited the paths. I, I, I can only imagine. It says the heavens dropped. I can think of past times where God delivered armies that had iron instruments and lightning came down and, 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 and thunderbolts uh, uh, electrocuted many people. I don't know what came out of heaven, but I do know water came down and would have mobilized them. So we see in verse 15, it says, the Lord discomforted Sisera. How many times do we go through the Old Testament and there was a battle won and Israel claimed the victory without ever lifting a sword? Many times that God did it this way. The Red Sea was won. He did it with chariots. He did it with the sound of footprints. He did it with lions. There was all kinds of devices that he used to to subdue an enemy. I'm still in Judges 4. Let me read verse 16. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Heresheth of the Gentiles, and all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. So Barak was faithful in the battle. He was faithful in coming down, following the battle plan to the low ground. He was faithful in the mop-up operation. He pursued hotly after them. The king <coughs> was off in another land, but Sisera, the captain of the host, was there. He jumped down from his chariot and he ran. Again, my imagination, again, this is my speculation, but it seems like evidently his chariot got bogged down and it was all muddy, so it was better for him to run than it was to take the chariot to flee. But he got off his chariot and he ran. And he left. So I'm still in Judges 4. I'm down to 17 now. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Canaanite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. That's a, like a great big blanket. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him some more milk and covered him. Here's a man that's been in battle. He's stressed out. He's been on the run. He's fatigued physically, emotionally. He's spent. He goes down. He gets a nice heavy rug, nice warm place, gives him some warm milk. And this is what he says. 
He says, I want you, J.L., to stand at the door. And if any man come to the door, say I'm not here. And she says, and she's lying through her teeth. She says, okay. Judges 4, verse 21. Then J.L., Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent. You know, a great big tent stake that you drive the ropes in for the, for, for the tent. And took a hammer in her hand. And went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it to the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Boy, oh boy. Don't want to turn your back on that lady if uh, you got something against her or she's got something against you. Verse 22, and behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, here's Barak being faithful, pursuing every last person. Jael came out to meet him and said to him, come, I will show you the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into the tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. I want you to know that even though Barak bought, he bought, he, he was afraid to go into battle by himself, and he needed some comfort. And he said, Deborah, I'll go if you go with me. My friends, when I go to Hebrews chapter 11, Barak's name is written there. Deborah's name is not. Barak's name is written there. Jael's name is not. Why? Because Hebrews 11 doesn't include women? No. We've already looked at two entries into the Hall of Faiths. We looked at Sarah and we looked at um, Rahab. We've looked at those two ladies. There's ladies in the Hall of Faith, but Barak is the one that's there. And then I finally realized he started off weak. God gave him a command. Yes, God gave him a command, but he bought. Okay, let me show you a couple things. I want to use David as my example. When I go to 1 Samuel 23 and verse 16, I'm going to read this. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. David was emotional wreck at this particular point in time, and Jonathan came up and held his hand and strengthened it. My friends, there are times when we need help. And Barak was at that point in time where he needed help. And then I go to 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. And notice what it says here. It says, David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved and every man his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Early on in David's career, he needed assistance. He needed a helper. He needed a friend. He needed someone to strengthen his hand. And Jonathan rose to that occasion. Later on in life, after many successes in 1 Samuel 30, we find where David is encouraging himself in the Lord. We are going to get to a point where we're young in the faith, where we do need help. We need the friends. But then we're going to get to a point as we grow and mature in the Lord, and we realize really the only friend I really need is God at my right-hand side. And this is David right here in 1 Samuel 30. And then finally, I want to read, this is David speaking also in Psalm 89, 4 and 5. This is speaking of David. Thy seed will I establish forever and build upon the throne to all generations, Selah. 
and the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. In other words, God gave David a promise that through your seed there would be a mighty king. And I believe that mighty king is Jesus. And David came to a point where he trusted the promises more than he needed a friend. My friends, I pray that that's where we can get to at some point in our life. What I'd like to do now is uh, do a little review on this man named Barak. Once again, I see him out. He's a military man. He's a military leader. I do believe God gave him command and he was slow to react. I do believe that the judge Deborah called and said, Barak, haven't you been given a command to go out to Mount Tabor with the 10,000 soldiers? Get. And Barak says, if you go with me, I'll go. I think his faith was weak in the beginning. So he gets his 10,000 untrained soldiers. He goes up to a mountaintop, a good place for foot soldiers to be when you're attacking tanks or iron chariots. Going to get the high ground. Tanks can't go up a mountain. It's too rocky. It's too steep. It's a good, safe place. We'll negate that. And then God says, okay, guys, time to get off that mountain. But Barak does it. He obeys the Lord, and he takes it on the flat. So he and the 10,000 soldiers coming down off the mountain, they're going to face this massive army with the 900 chariots on the plain. And all of a sudden, God steps in, and he discomforts the enemy. I don't know how many were electrocuted. I don't know. But, but I do know the chariots were bogged down in the mud. And they have a great victory and soldiers take off running, chariots take off run, or are fleeing, and Barak is in hot pursuit of chasing chariots with his untrained soldiers. And we find him that he goes down to the very last man. So what I'd like to do is I want to compare some of this spirituality. One of the things I would like to do is, is, is plot. Now I know this is a silly graph, but some I'm, I'm a visual learner. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the seven people we've covered thus far in this series. In this particular series, we, we covered three people. I'm going to cover this. These people were found in, in um, uh, two in Genesis and one in the very beginning of, of uh, Joshua. We're going to see Jacob. When I look at Jacob, Jacob started off very weak. And you know what? He never really elevated to a very high position when we see him, he, he gets a little bit more faith, and he's, he's, he's blackmailing his father. I'm sorry, he's blackmailing his brother. He's lying to his father. He's getting these sins. He's negotiating. He's got a father, Laban. He comes back. But even during the rest of his life, in his mature life, he's still playing favorites with wives. He's, he's, he's cueing his children in a way to protect the most favorites and putting them in the back of a line and he's putting the ones he is less um, um, close to in the front of the line. He's playing these favorite games. I don't ever see him. So when I see the, the spirituality of a man like Jacob, who is in Hebrews 11, I see it getting a little bit stronger, but I never say Jacob arrived. He's, he was born a rascal and even after conversion, he was still battling the flesh the whole way. 
And then I see someone like Rabin who started, Rahab, that started her life off as a prostitute. I got to say no spirituality. But then she starts hearing these reports of the great God of Israel. And then all of a sudden she risks her life to protect some soldiers. And she follows the soldiers and she saves her family. And then she flees from the city and she spends the rest of her life with Israel, with the God of Israel. I see a very spark, a sharp spike up in her living her life there. And then I see Sarah. Sarah's right the opposite. Sarah starts off strong. She follows her husband into a foreign land. She has a little bit of weakness when she turns 90 and hasn't had a child yet. And she does all the shenanigans with her bondservant. But then later on we see here and we're going back up. So when I look at these three people, Jacob, I see him start off weak and I see him stay pretty weak. I look at Rahab and she starts off really weak and I see her get really strong. And then I see someone like Stara that started off strong, had a dip in the middle, and then got strong later on. Let's go on and look at some of these characters in uh, the book of Judges. When I look at uh, someone like Gideon, Gideon was right the opposite of Sarah. I see Gideon starting off very weak. He's very timid. He's very afraid, needs all these signs. I see him going to the battle. He's got the 300 soldiers around the valley with over 100,000 soldiers there, and he takes them on with 300 soldiers. That's great. So he's spiked in the middle of his life. And then I see the last part of his life where he starts getting full of himself and he starts behaving and more, he's more about Gideon than he is about God. So when I look at Gideon, he starts off weak, he gets really strong in the middle, and he ends very weak. And then I compare him to Samson, and Samson started off very, very strong. And he just got weaker and weaker and weaker as he got more and more into the flesh. And I see his as a, as a downward slide. So Jephthah, I see a, a, a flat line right at mediocre. I see um, Gideon, who starts off weak, spikes up pretty high, and then he goes down pretty low. And then I see Samson, who starts off strong and just gets weaker throughout his whole life. And then with this one, I need to add Barak. And in my mind, Barak starts off pretty weak. He's, he's afraid to obey the commandment. He needs a helper. But as time goes on, he proves himself to be a very strong spiritually man. So even though I've always had him as a label of a mama's boy, needing mama to go with him, mama got him kick-started. But after that, he was a very faithful soldier. One of the strongest ones and. I put his spirituality near the end of his life, or at least what's recorded, above Samson, above Jephthah, above Gideon, above Sarah, above Rahab. Well, maybe not above Rahab, but above Jacob for sure. Interesting. So we've got one more person to do um, to finish this series. I think I'm going to slide out of the book of Hebrews 11. I've got one more man in mind. I would like to look at his life in this series. But my whole point is, in looking at this, I am absolutely amazed at these characters that are logged and registered and recorded in Hebrews 11. What diverse lives they've lived. Some started off very faithful, had a dip, and then got faithful at the end. Some got started off very faithful and just got weaker and weaker and weaker. 
Some were right the opposite. Some started off weak, got strong, and then got weak again. Some got, started off weak, got strong, and they got stronger just throughout their whole life. And there's other people that were pretty much mediocre their whole life. <clears throat> what this does, it tells me there's only one plan of salvation that gets all seven of these characters to heaven. And that's grace. It's not my faithfulness. It's Christ's faithfulness for going to the cross for me. May the Lord bless you till we look at our eighth person. Thank you.